millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Andrew. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we discuss Liz Truss's first days in office, and you ask us... How serious are the rumours about Boris Johnson coming back? So we are in the first week of Liz Truss's premiership. She is actually speaking in the Commons as we record, announcing her new policy to help people with their energy bills. We think we know a bit about that plan already, but we will unpick it in greater detail next episode. But I want to get both of your reflections, actually, on what her first week has been like so far. What did you make of her cabinet appointments, for example? I think they were all as briefed, so there was no no big surprise in there. I think it's been said by a lot of people that... there are pretty much no supporters of Rishi Sunak, even though I think her press secretary put out a statement pretty much like straight afterwards saying this is a unity cabinet and it contains five members of the leadership contest. That kind of underlined that they certainly did not include Rishi Sunak. Mm-hmm. It seems that he probably wouldn't have taken a job any case, but yeah, that's that will spell trouble for her at a later stage. I think it was notable at PMQs that... While she seemed to have a lot of support, none of her critics were there. I think she's got a free reign. I think, as has been already said, but quite rightly, there are more big, talented names on the back benches than you'd expect at this stage, and that destabilises things for the mm. entire Conservative Party. They are not going to jump into rebellion at this stage. They're going to give her a honeymoon, but they are a source of... I think they constrain her. In terms of the policies that she wants to move on to, there are big groups of potential rebels on almost every side. But in terms of the cabinet itself, I take a slightly different view from a lot of people. I think this is a strongish cabinet, and it's certainly stronger than Boris Johnson's cabinet. I think you think of Poiteng, and you think of Cleverly, you think of Coffey, and you think, of course, of Ben Wallace as well, still in as Defence Secretary. That is a very strong quartet, really, at the heart of the cabinet. A former senior cabinet member, I better not say who it was, who's out now, said she has got the most ideologically united cabinet that I can remember, and that is a strength. But the price for that is she has got the most divided parliamentary party, and that isn't. I think it's worth saying that the two of the leadership con- contenders that were quite a threat to her, you've got Kemi, Kemi Badenoch, who's been sent out to be Trade Secretary. That kind of keeps her away from Westminster, keeps her kind of out of the picture for a while because she might be tied up chasing a, a US-UK trade deal that's not likely to happen and that Joe Biden's not going to be interested in. So it might not offer Kemi the opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of build her profile in the same way. And similarly with 
Penny Mordaunt, she's been given leader of the House of Commons. That's not a brief in and of itself. She doesn't have a portfolio. She doesn't have policy that she can play with. She's in a kind of sidelined role, even though she's in at the cabinet table. It's interesting that yeah. those two have been put in those roles, isn't it? Because those are the two names when I was speaking to Tory members over the summer that they all wished were on the ballot paper. They were the most popular among the membership. And does it suggest a slight lack of confidence in Liz Truss that she won't give those kind of popular people higher positions. I think the short answer to that, Anoush, is yes. But also Tom Tuchenhat, you see him grinning slightly uneasily at the end of the cabinet table in those photographs. He's got a sort of very specific security brief. The things where he agrees with Liz Truss shine some of the security issues. There's no threat to her there because they completely agree, but it's a very limited brief. Yes, of course. And talking about that ideological sort of consensus at the top of government now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because these people are known as free marketeers. Kwarteng and Trust worked on the Britannia Unchained book together in 2012, which was all about free enterprise deregulation, making a smaller state. But actually, it seems that her first act as Prime Minister, her first big act will be to fix prices, fix energy prices specifically, which is completely against probably all of her political instincts. And it reminds me a bit of how Rishi Sunak became, when he became Chancellor, the first thing he had to do was announce the furlough scheme and all of this unprecedented spending for the state, which was also against his own instincts. Force majeure because of really since the pandemic and then through into the war this is an era when we are relearning the importance of the big state and if you look at the polling actually the British public wants more state security more state support than we've wanted for a very long time so the overarching irony I think of this whole conversation and of the political period that we're in is that we have an instinctively small state government a very small state government at a time when the country wants a big state and that is going to be a tension that really defines Liz Truss's premiership I think but I can't help but thinking that kicks the can down the road a little bit and I can understand why Keir Starmer might start out saying Liz Truss is looking at a magic money tree because I think the public hasn't been presented with any of the potential compromises yet. It would, when, we are do, when we are faced with just how big the COVID backlogs are going to be and we look at how, what kind of service the NHS is going to be able to provide and we've also spent a lot of money on bailing out energy companies rather than perhaps going opting for a windfall tax going for a different op- kind of option I wonder if that might be the point when the public start to wonder about the wisdom of spending a great deal all of the time even though because they've become very used to it because of the COVID pandemic It would be more interesting if we were going to disagree all the way through this but I completely agree with that. <laughs> I have to say I have to say I think there's, there's, in the immediate short term I think this big announcement today of support for energy bills will give Liz Truss a lot of uplift. I think there'll be a general sense of shoulders down, exhaling relief across the country because everyone's been so terrified of these bills in small businesses and in households. Now, Keir Starmer thinks that he has set a big trap for her. If she rules out the windfall taxes on these huge profits the energy utilities are, are making, then she has to raise the money through borrowing, basically, or by some kind of scheme, which are, that means that we're going to be paying higher energy bills. Now, borrowing, I think, every, it's very interesting, the number of Tory MPs, and indeed Labour MPs I've bumped into the last few days, who say, oh, I'm watching the last gilt auction very carefully. I'm really interested in bond <laughs> yields. We haven't heard this in British politics for a long time. What they're really asking is, will the international markets buy this? huge amount of borrowing. Do they have confidence in Liz Truss's government looking after the shop? 
And if the answer to that is no, and the pound goes down, and as it seems, the Bank of England jack interest rates up further than they were going to, then we're all going to be paying for this through higher interest rates, higher inflation, higher borrowing. And what any one of the mortgage is really going to notice it. But it takes some time for that to filter through. People are just relieved not to be paying those energy bills at the moment. And the other side of the cost will take some time to filter through. One other thing I would say is that I think if you choose not to tax eye-wateringly huge profits being made, nothing to do with their, the brilliance of their business model, but just because of the international gas price by the energy companies, then every single time the opposition or lobby groups ask for more money to improve sewerage or sort the court system out or get more police on the beat or sort the ambulance system out or help with school infrastructure or whatever it is and the government the, the trust government says no we can't afford that the entire country will point their finger and say what about those profits that you forego you forewent all of that and i think that would be a big political problem for. and it's interesting that that i understand why liz trust is not putting more energy into kind of selling her policy then for that reason describing it as saying well, we don't want to deter investment I think it doesn't explain it as fully as people will need in a few mm. in a couple of years time if they are faced with those kind of compromises yeah. and similarly I don't think Labour's done enough to describe how the windfall the tax that they want is not what Labour might ordinarily call for in terms of an increase in public spending on say the NHS which would be paid for through increased general taxation. I, and I think when you hear someone like Simon Clark this morning, the new levelling leveling up secretary, saying, oh, Labour always calls for more tax. That's a, that's a brand problem for Labour because it's always been pro more, pro more public spending. So I don't know if Labour's described its policy as well as it needs to. Yes, I think if I was Keir Starmer, I would be probably boasting more that the government was stealing another policy of his mm. rather than trying to draw that dividing line quite so often because the word tax doesn't it it verifies something that many voters still assume about the Labour Party which is that it's the party of high tax so I think that is a vulnerability it was one of Liz Truss's better comebacks at PMQs wasn't it, it was there's nothing fast. new about a Labour mm. leader who wants to put up taxes and that was actually clipped on the BBC News that evening as well so a lot of people will have seen that and there is that stubborn assumption still about what the Labour's what Labour's economic outlook is so in terms of rhetoric and as it were painting the picture what Labour has to do is distinguish very clearly between windfall corporate taxes yes. in extraordinary times and normal taxes because people don't like high taxes and that has worked for the Tories because they don't like high taxes on them and their incomes. High taxes for the fat cats, high taxes for the utility companies, that is something entirely different. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so just lastly, what did you make of her first PMQs and Keir Starmer's response to her as well? It was very different, wasn't it, in tone from how he used to face Boris Johnson across the dispatch book? I thought she did surprisingly. I think a lot of Labour figures were quite not shocked, but I think they said, oh, we never, we should never underestimate Liz Truss. That was briefed out as a line. But I think even in addition to that, they were surprised at just how competently, crisply, confidently she dealt with her first PMQ. She didn't seem at all overwhelmed, she seemed steady, answered a lot of questions very directly. I think they were gearing up for Liz Trust to be a bit more evasive and to try and bat away questions, but she, when asked a yes or no 
question, she came back with a yes or no. <laughs> I have to tell you that I first went in as a young reporter into the House of Commons in the mid-1980s, and I hung over the press gallery and watched Margaret Thatcher at, in her pomp at her best, fighting with Neil Kinnock. And I was reminded a bit of that, in a good way, in the sense we've had lots of sort of silly jokes and Bertie Woosterish nonsense in, in PMQs and a lot of personal attacks during the Boris Johnson era. And now we are back to a much crisper, your word again, Rach, much crisper debate on the big politics. And big politics is back. This was an ideological clash between a Conservative leader who's not very big on humour, but is utterly self-confident. I thought that the way Liz Truss stood at the dispatch box, she was pivoting, staring around the chamber with a smile on her face, enjoying every minute of it. She didn't talk about the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the Defence Secretary. She said, my Chancellor of the Exchequer, my Defence Secretary, my Health Secretary. She was absolutely in command and she gave very straight answers so Keir Starmer I think had probably with Boris Johnson you'd have had to ask six or seven times whether or not he was in favour of a windfall tax and she came straight back with it and you can see the slight look of surprise in Keir Starmer's eyes I think he I know he welcomes this he thinks proper serious grown-up politics is what the country wants to hear and we don't very often bring you good news on these podcasts (laughs) but I think that the return of proper politics is good news and I think she is partly responsible for that. Yeah, I think the Lib's team was saying they were hoping for a PMQs that would be, was a bit more illuminating, and they felt that they got we that. We certainly got that. But I do think Liz Truss coming out and saying, I'm, again, the third female Conservative Party leader and Prime Minister, Lib has never had a... Uh, that, that line will be come out every single week. I get And you saw, Ra- you saw Rachel Reeves and Angela Rayner on either side of Keir Starmer looking just a little sick at that line. <laughs> they couldn't nod, they couldn't put a thumbs up, but you could see what they were thinking. Yeah, that's <laughs> something that's, that Starmer's going to need to figure out how to deal with. Yeah, proper response to that. I think the response so far has been, well, it helps if you change leader every two years, which I don't think quite cuts it, does it? Yeah. I think, well, the obvious diversity argument, because, of course, Labour have a diversity argument in terms of of community background as well. They have very few black and Asian faces compared to the Tories at the top level. But I think what they have to keep hammering is, as it were, social diversity. The fact that almost every member of the cabinet, some 20, 20 odd, are privately school educated. And whatever colour of the skin, they've all been to top public schools. They've all come from very wealthy and successful families. And Labour have to keep asking the question, are they really able to understand everybody's day-to-day experience. Yes, because I think there was some Sutton Trust research, wasn't there, that said that it was the most privately educated cabinet, more more so than Theresa May's, Boris Johnson's and David Cameron's as well. Sorry to interrupt the discussion, but we've just had the news that the household support, so the freeze of energy bills, will be for two years and the freeze for businesses will be for six months. So what does that timing tell you? <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that. We need our finest minds on this one. <laughs> well, it's... It, it, confirms that the the Prime Minister Liz Truss plans to borrow her way to the next general election. It'll be interesting what the compromise is going to be with businesses in six months because they've not been protected by the cap before now. And also I'd be very interested to find out what eventually the definition of business is because of course hospitals, libraries, care homes, a huge range of places, churches, where people spend a lot of time, are not normally defined as businesses in that sense and will be in desperate need of support too. So the minute you start supporting people in this kind of crisis, the support just keeps spreading. And I wonder also whether if it's for two years, how much the next general election campaign is going to be dominated by the details of whether or not that support is withdrawn or whether it goes ahead. Or, of course, you don't know what the energy prices will be by then. With any luck, there'll be a lot. So in a sense, Rachel, and she, she is 
hoping, gambling, that the war is over by then, mm. that, that the situation in Ukraine is finally resolved before the election. Yeah. Yeah. And just how she's going to justify the borrowing if it means compromises for public services. I think that's where Labour's magic money tree attack may come in before the next election. We shall see. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss and now it's time for a section we like to call you ask us Do I have to say it? Yes, you do. You're you, also being you asked. Ask us. You ask us. <laughs> so we have a question from James, a listener. Thanks, James. He asks, how serious are the rumours about Johnson plotting a return? So we haven't actually talked about this. We haven't talked about Johnson's third last speech as Prime Minister, have we? Where he spoke about, like Cincinnatus, he would return to his plough. This is a Roman statesman who actually did return. And then came back again as dictator later. Yeah. That, that was what everyone noticed. It was, yeah. it was very funny, yeah. but also slightly menacing. I, everyone I've talked to, and I haven't talked to Boris Johnson or indeed to Carrie Johnson themselves or anyone like that, but everyone says that he wants to make some money. He needs, to, he feels he needs to make a lot of money, and that has happened quite quickly. So I think he will be off on the lecture circuit, and possibly writing a column for a newspaper and so on. Maybe writing another book in, over the next year or two ahead. But I also think that he's a relatively young man in political terms. He's enormously ambitious. He's very hurt by what happened. He still doesn't understand it. At some level, he doesn't get it. He thinks the whole thing was grossly unfair. And so he would love to come back and be vindicated. I think that can only happen if the Conservatives lose the next election 
and he probably has to switch seats as well because Uxbridge oh, looks yeah. like it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So there's some thought that he will, he, will be, he will find some very rock solid, possibly red wall seat outside and make himself the spokesman for Northern or Red Wars conservatism and go back to that levelling up agenda and try and bring the Conservative Party back. But he needs Liz Truss, his great friend, to thumpingly lose the next election <laughs> first. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how serious those rooms are. You never know with Boris Johnson. I think that's why he can be so compelling sometimes because you're never quite sure what he's going to do next. But I don't know. I, I guess it's. I guess he'll also just be waiting to see, just see if how people look back on his legacy as PM. I, I, do they start to become kinder towards him, or if stories of Tory sleaze continue to be in the press? I think history probably won't be treating him very kindly if that's the case. So I don't know. Plus, his colours were very much nailed to the mast with with Brexit, which is having a huge impact on the economy. So that's also not going to be another positive route back for him necessarily. You can't really separate the business side of it from the return to politics side of it because he's most interesting as an after dinner speaker or as a author or as a columnist if the door's always open for his return, isn't it? Because it means he's still in the thick of it. So maybe that's part of the calculation if he needs to make money, as we've heard that he does. I, th- I think just that it's striking that how few people, when you talk to them about it, and people around Westminster, what have you, they don't feel like someone else is responsible for Boris Johnson's downfall. They say Boris Johnson has caused Boris Johnson's downfall. I think he's not in a position to play a victim, blame anybody else. So that is really interesting. Do you think, therefore, Rachel, that his comeback would be partly enhanced or would be hugely helped? And is it possible if at some point he shows contrition, if at some point he stands up and makes the speech that says, do you know what, I've been agonising about this, folks, for the last (laughs) few months and fill in Boris Johnson jokes and witticisms here, and I have realised that I lost it a bit. I wasn't properly in control of my number 10 team or indeed myself. If he said that kind of thing, that would, be, that would give permission for the Conservative Party to really look at him again. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a sort of a very sincere mm. apology. There's never not been a, there's been a, a sort of, oh, mea culpa, but it's not been a, you've not felt the sincerity. There's not been this big, I'm sorry, I take responsibility, I'm... Nick Clegg with the tuition oh, fees moment. That weird thing he said in his final speech, they changed the rules halfway. Mm. No, they <laughs> didn't. He lost the authority, he lost the support of his parliamentary party, and when that happens, you're over. It's not a rule change, it was political reality. Well, that's why we probably won't ever get that apology that you very well no, <laughs> spoofed there, Andrew, because he doesn't believe really, ultimately, that he was in the room. I, I look, I'm sorry, complete bounder, complete ash. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> Done it, my fault. Boss has messed up. Really sorry. We got the exclusive here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Andrew and Rachel, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Rachel Wearmouth and Andrew Marr. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and please leave us a nice review and don't forget to subscribe. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.